This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. I'm Uma Paganampke Pagan. Joining me today on Bookmark, I have BFM's very own Keith Kam and Melissa Idris. The both of them, first timers on Bookmark, mind you. Go easy on us. Yeah, <laughs> we don't read very often. <laughs> <laughs> they are here to join me to review Billion Dollar Whale. You know the book. It is by Tom Wright and Bradley Hope, Wall Street Journal journalists who have been chronicling the 1MDB story since it broke all the way back in 2015. You said one damn DB. I think that may have been a Freudian slip. <laughs> one MDB story since it broke in 2015. Uh, this book um, is subtitled The Man Who Fooled Wall Street, Hollywood and the World. It is sold out all over the Klang Valley, but it focuses primarily on Joe Lowe. Both Tom and Bradley were of the opinion that Joe Lowe, and rightly so, that Joe Lowe was the man who had a 360 degree view of everything that happened in 1MDB. So, guys, before I get into the nitty-gritty, let's talk about initial reactions. In reading the book, was there anything... I mean, the both of you, myself included, we've been following this story for the longest time. We've read everything Wall Street Journal had to report, Sarawak Report put out, Malaysia, Kini, everyone. The The Edge. edge. Was there anything that still surprised you from the book? Well, before we start, I'd really like to put on record, I don't read very much, as I said earlier, and and, um, I was quite amazed at the fact that I actually finished this book in between assignments and and other work in two days, you know, under under 48 hours, in fact, about 36 hours. Couldn't put it down, eh? Yeah, I was really, really... um, uh, Well, the thing is, with this book... A lot of it has to do with the fact that Malaysians in general were personally invested in in the stories behind it. There were some some surprises, but what this book did for me was that it put um, a lot of the stories that we already know um, into a bit of a chronological order so that you you could actually follow it better. For me, one of the biggest takeaways from this book, I don't know if it was necessarily surprising, but it was the extent of lavishness Mm. that Joe Lowe indulged in over these last few years. But, you know, that lavishness has been reported. I think when it's put into those types of scenarios, right, so played out like a movie. So the whole time I was reading this book, I could visualise you know, the setting, the people, the decadence, it was as though I could picture it. And I think that kind of descriptive nature of it helped me understand just how much was plundered. We've seen a lot of these stories play out in tabloids. We've seen the photos on Twitter Mm -hmm. and Facebook and even on the Sarawak Report. However, the descriptive nature in which Tom and Bradley write about these stories gives it new life. I also want to kind of point out that I think we should make a distinction between someone reading it who's Malaysian and um, has been following the story uh, for many years versus someone who is reading it, say, an international audience reading it in the US or in the UK, right? Coming to this story as this, you know, gripping tale of greed and what's been described as the heist of the century. So it reads like a, a great thriller novel, but... For me, I couldn't detach myself from the fact that these were people 
who we've been reporting about in the news. It, it reads like fiction. But I couldn't get over the fact that it wasn't. Also, it's people we know in the sense that I we've know. encountered them, not just in our reporting, but also we've probably interviewed a lot of them on BFM. That's right. It's frightening. I'm not going to name any names because they don't, but they allude to some of these individuals. True, true. I mean, some of the uh, some of the scenarios that they've put out, like the Bursay rallies, for for example, you know, I'm sure many of us have have been to some of these rallies. So that's where that personal connection really is. But again, like what Melissa said, you really. Have have to remember that uh, what you're reading, a lot of it is based on fact and um, a lot of it has a lot of uh, journalism efforts put in before you can come up with a story like that. Exactly. And that is precisely what I wanted to point out because, you know, the writing in this book is so effortless. The mm. two of them are so good at putting the story across in a narrative form mm. that it hides just how much great journalism went behind it. I mean, I've Do seen... you think it hides it? I feel like it emphasizes it. Well, no, because you and I know how the work is done. Right. And you and I know what it takes before you can craft a single sentence with that much information that has been sourced, that has been approved by lawyers, that is accurate, fact-checked that and, is fact-checked. Yeah. We know how that works. But for most people, it reads like a story. Mm. Exactly. I, I, people have asked me about uh, some, you know, some of the stories that they put out. It seemed too, 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 um, too bizarre, too extravagant to be true. I know, right? Yeah. But I mean, they don't put it out there unless they've got sources, and you know, they they are able to 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 back that up with um, documents right. or, or people they've spoken to. What, what struck me the most was this was. Wall Street Journal training, right? So, so the journal, it's, it's what the journal does best. It's reporting business, finance and corporate news, but they always have that, that point Human of view that what is the emotional centre mm. of this story? And yes. it's, it's brilliant because if you look at their uh, reporting over the years, the journal gives as much attention to um, human interest stories, human human issues, human rights issues, um, just as much as corporate news. So I think what they've done is they've managed to report about finance and malfeasance in a way that makes it relatable to everyone. So it's not a graph in a in a newspaper uh, or a chart in a newspaper. It's words in a, in a novel format that makes it so much more, I think, more profound. And, and for me, that is where the genius of these two individuals lie, right? I have this belief that to be able to communicate something like this mm -hmm. in such an accessible manner means you have a tremendous understanding of the subject at hand. They don't use a single bit of financial jargon right. in trying right. to convey this message. This book, if translated to BM, will be the most accessible account of 1MDB to the Malaysian masses. And for me, that means Tom and Bradley have such a great understanding of what was going on that they can actually explain it to you in right. the simplest possible form. There is a phenomenal physicist by the name of Richard Feynman, and I think he's one of the greatest scientists that ever exists because he can take the most complex physics theories and put it in a form that an 11-year-old can understand. And for the longest time, and I've read those Malaysia Kini pieces and the Edge pieces, tremendous reporting, but I'd have to read them three and four times to work out because of the jargon, the complex structure of how these heists happen. Well, even, you know, those infographics that the Edge put out, right? Brilliant infographics that show this kind of spider web of transaction. I struggle to understand the importance of what they're trying to uh, represent. And, and no... I get no disrespect to the work that went behind it, but even to a financial journalist, I still struggle to make sense of all the pieces. But in reading this book, it just clicks. Everything clicks because it's been told like a story. 
I was going to talk about some of the events that took place within the book. I don't think they actually count as spoilers because they've actually happened. Yeah. I wanted to ask you that. So, so at what? I mean, at what point do we consider it spoilers? Because technically, it's non-fiction. So, right. does, do spoilers even matter at this point in time? Well, no. I mean, it's not really a spoiler in the sense that you've probably heard some of this information before, and that's the thing that I wanted to point out because what we've heard as gossip and hearsay has been verified by Tom and Bradley before they've put it in this book. Right? We've heard a lot of these stories. Who's having an affair with whom? What's going on behind the scenes at this IPO? We know all of this stuff because it's, it's journalistic gossip, right? People hear stories, they share it at press conferences, we know what's happening. But when you read it in something that's been lawyer vetted, yeah, um, it actually kind of reinforces how much of what gossip goes on in Kuala Lumpur is rooted in some truth. For me, one of the, uh, one of the most poignant Parts of the story was the fact that, uh, you know, with with, with all the cover ups uh, trying to trying to absolve uh, Datuk Sri Najib Razak of all blame, um, I was I was I was very heartened to note that at least there are some officers in the MACC who, despite um, you know having been told to to, to back off and to, to claim the um, the money he received was a donation, they still managed to. Uh, Contact the uh, Justice Department to give their uh, to give whatever information they could. Right, you that know, was heartening. That's new, right, that's new to me. Yeah, see, see, oh, I, confirmation. So I, you know, some parts were maybe that you may you may have been heartened by that, Keith. But uh, for me, there were bits of the book where I just could not carry on reading for fear that I might throw it out the window for out of anger. Rage, Not, right? Rage, yes, out of rage. <laughs> so, you know, uh, the FT wrote in its review of this book that it says the book has the detail of uh, the detail and vicarious pleasure afforded by reading celebrity magazines. That was the opposite for me because I feel that while there was so much glitz and glamour, I just could not detach from the fact that this was money stolen from uh, from a country from us. that from yeah from us from uh, and the opportunity cost and the intangible cost that was to us you know we were we were deeply wounded as a country from we this still are. we still are right still so for it, yeah. so i couldn't detach from that and it just made so parts of the book just i raised so many uh, questions for me it just left all this lingering doubt in my head you know someone asked me what I thought of the book and what was my experience reading the book. And the first thing I said to them was, there are moments that are so good that I forgot that it happened to us. It is so well written, wow. it's so well researched mm -hmm. that it felt like, I was going to say a film, but more like a eight-part Netflix series, that I was lost in the content. And then it was a sharp realization that, wait, 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 this is our money. It's an opportunity cost to us. You'd be more developed otherwise. But I do also think it's because of the way Tom and Bradley wrote it, right? So one of the things that really struck me the most was everything had a setting. So, you know, uh, Jaway and Kevin Swampilai were not just talking about the deal. They were sat at a cafe talking about it as the bustling crowd of Hong Kong, uh, you know, the noise of the crowd of Hong Kong. It, it was as though you were there. And it just made me wonder, how did they know that? How did they know that, you know, Kevin and, and Jaway were sat at a cafe with noise around them. Three years of your life. It's amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. Their, their observation of the, of the characters in the book as well, oh, well, they are real people, but their observation was really, really spot on as well. Um, you know, the, the, the greed that went into it, 
I know I know that um, a lot of us we are very blinded by by a lot of money, the glitz, the glamour. But I never expected people like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, for one, who is probably well to do himself, would be would be blinded by all this. Um, his their observation of Datu Sri Najib Razak that was something I I thought was really really spot on, and is something that a lot of us. Uh, can relate to, I suppose, mm. uh, coming from from a society like like Malaysia, you know, he came from he came from a from a political dynasty. Um, he was very very, um, he felt very entitled. He was used to to uh, everything being handed to him uh, without him having to ask any questions. He he just expected uh, everything to be done for him. So you know, when he was invited onto the yacht, it was like, um, yeah, that's that's basically what I expect anyway. So it's it's quite amazing how they got these characters to be so accurately depicted in the book, uh, as, as at least as far as we know them to be. Now, we've covered our thoughts on the book. Let's take a look at what this book is all about. Jolo, mm. he is the major player in this. Now, there is a very interesting blurb by Ben Mesrick, who says, Jolo is Gatsby with twice the bank account and 10 times the ambition. Mm -hmm. He's, of course, referring to F. Scott Fitzgerald's Great Gatsby, right? And Jay Gatsby in the novel is a very interesting character. His life kind of plays out in a very similar way. He's craving attention and wealth. He doesn't necessarily want any of it for himself, but he wants to be the man. He wants everyone to go, there goes the Great Gatsby, you know? And that is a very interesting parallel. However, I do disagree with that account because there's one thing that's missing. In cases of fiction, and we've seen this play out a lot in fiction, ironically, when I was thinking about it, it's played out a lot by Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) He's played that character in Catch Me If You Can. Oh, gosh, He's played that character in The Wolf of Wall Street, and he's played it in The Great Gatsby. Maybe he gravitates towards these types of characters. He does, right? But Not such a method actor. (laughs) (laughs) But when writing these stories, writers need to have an element that makes you sympathize with the character. At the end of The Great Gatsby, you feel some sorrow Mm. for Jay Gatsby. The difference here is I can't sympathize with Joe Lowe. Is it because you're a Malaysian and you're invested in this story? I don't know. And I don't know if it's because we don't know his end yet. Mm. But everything he's done was so selfish that even as a fictional character, he kind of fails, let alone as someone who is real. I mean, it's very clear from all of their reporting that he is the single person that has a 360 view of everything that happened in 1MDB. There are things that Najib Razak knew that Rosma probably didn't know. There are things that Rosma Manso knew that Najib Razak probably didn't know. But Joe knew everything. Yeah, so, you know, what I thought was particularly interesting was that no matter how many people um, Tom and Bradley spoke, uh, you know, people within Jolo's inner circle, they couldn't pinpoint any emotional or, or core emotional uh, recollection about him. So everything was felt like it was just surface glitz and glamour. And I wonder whether he, you know, to me, I was craving to know more about this man behind this, um, the, the man who fooled Wall Street and, and Hollywood and the world, right? So I, I was... I was craving to understand his motivations beyond selfishness and greed. I was craving to understand what makes him tick and if he feels any kind of remorse or any any uh, form of 
you know, a, a real human emotion to to what to the reaction that we're having to this book. In all fairness, though, uh, we are still only hearing the side of Tom Wright and and Bradley Hope. Well, yeah. you know, he's I got would... a he's got a, a website up now, Jolo, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, and and you know what? Actually, um, according to I, I was reading on on a news report that Jolo responded to this book through his uh, legal sources, and he said that this was guilt by lifestyle and trial by media at worst. And I thought about that, and I was like, Are we penalizing yeah. him for guilt guilt by lifestyle? And my my simple answer is no, I'm not. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's the Libra in me, but I would really love to hear his side of the story uh, to at least get a get a more balanced uh, view of what's what's been going on. I mean, we know how Dato Sri Najib Razak has been putting out um, information um, on, on his Facebook, on his, Facebook <laughs> on his Twitter. While he was prime minister, he refused to take questions from the media, and and when there were one on one interviews, they were all scripted. And you know, correct. We, we only just got that one side of him that we never knew about. Perhaps Joel. Jolo should actually come on the breakfast grill at some point. <laughs> we've put out feelers. This is an open invitation. <laughs> I think we've tweeted him. We have, yes. Yeah. I, can I can I also point out that Jolo is not just the only central character. He no. may be the central one, but for me, my biggest character in this book, or the one that gave me most pause, was Goldman Sachs as an entity. Right. That that was was one of the biggest characters I thought played a pivotal role in this. Well, the global financial system is completely culpable in what happened here in Malaysia with 1MDB. And I think next to Joe Lowe, they are probably the worst portrayed in this book. And, mm. and, and Tom and Bradley make a point. They talk about it in the end and say, you know, it's easy to paint Malaysia as this third world nation where these sorts of things happen, right? right. However, if it wasn't for the corrupt nature of the global financial system, you know, Keith, if I wanted to send you 10,000 ringgit, the bank will ask me 100 questions. Exactly. Yeah. You know, in this situation, Jolo and his dad could transfer hundreds of millions of ringgit between, uh, sorry, hundreds of millions of dollars, dollars yeah. between one another with a single letter of guarantee. And global banks will be like, ah, well, you know, it's a lot of money. Let's, no, because yeah. let's just do it. by profits, generally. You know, for, for every one of these um, transactions they do, they earn something. Correct. But but the quantum of what they earned, right? So, you know, typically if you raise bonds for a sovereign wealth fund, you'd make, say, a million dollars as an investment bank. Oh, yeah. Goldman Sachs made $600 million of The first of round three was $190 million. Ex- exactly. And Goldman bankers in Hong Kong were like, whoa, this is not right. So, <laughs> and, and you know what? Because of that, because there were some some bankers within, I'm not, I'm not going to paint it with a broad brush, but there were some bankers who raised these red flags and they had an internal discussion over it. But because it had the support of senior bankers approving the deal, allegedly. So the, the question is, I think, with Goldman Sachs, is what happens to them at the end of the day? Because you talked about the the role the global financial, um, financial system has to play in this. It's about what happens to Goldman at the end of the day. If they get a fine and a slap on the wrist, then all that this is, is just an operational cost to them. Yeah, absolutely. And an operational cost that doesn't run nearly as high as the profits they actually made off of Malaysia. And that's where I think our people are to blame, right? Because there were zero checks and balances. For Najib Razak, it felt like 1MDB was a slush fund to save his political power. For Osma Manso, it is painted as a slush fund for her obsession with jewellery and wealth and swag, right? So much swag. And I think therein, therein lies the most disheartening moment of this book in that 
between all three of their motivations, it doesn't feel like for a minute that 1MDB was ever going to benefit the Malaysian people. It feels like it was a venture that was utilized to fund the lifestyles, I mean, if true, of these individuals. What would happen if May 9th didn't happen? This book would have never yeah. come to Malaysia. I spoke to Tom Wright and I remember asking about the release of this book and there was a concern as to whether or not this book would actually get to our shores. And if it weren't for GE14, we would have to smuggle this book in some other way. I remember the last time a book had this much attention was Malaysian Maverick. Mm -hmm. And I had bought 20 copies from Singapore because I was going down to Singapore to buy the book. And I remember everyone at BFM was like, can you get, get me, me a, a copy? copy? Can you get me a copy? I think I asked you. And smuggling 20 <laughs> copies of Malaysian Maverick by Barry Wayne through Subang Customs was quite funny because it hadn't officially been banned, but... The customs officer didn't know what it was quite yet, but he was like, oh, banyak buku. Huh? I'm like, yeah, saya suka baca. <laughs> 20 of the same book. <laughs> and well, he, he didn't actually look at all of them. I think through the x-ray machine, it just showed like there was a lot of books. Yeah, and, and you know, this is all in mind with the Anti-Fake News Act that, that has uh, come into force. And I wonder whether um, had May 9th not happened, whether that, that act would have been used against the authors. That act? was inspired entirely by Tom Wright and Bradley Hope. Think, I'm pretty sure. It was, it yeah. Was <laughs> yeah. They were the muse. <laughs> they were the muses <laughs> for that act. But if May 9 didn't, ha didn't happen, I think we'd be even deeper in the... In the, in the doghouse? Yeah. Yeah, with, in the doo-doo. With 1MDB. With 1MDB. Yeah. You know, there are two kinds of people in this world, right? There are the people who watch Wall Street and Wolf of Wall Street, for example, and think the hero of the show is Jordan Belfort mm. or Charlie Sheen. Right. In Wall Street, and they Who are think these people? Huh? They, they do exist. They oh. work on Wall Street mainly. Okay, <laughs> and, and and as management consultants, um, and in Goldman Sachs. <laughs> but but there are two kinds of people. For them, it is not a morality play. And when Oliver Stone made. Wall Street. Wall Street. It was a morality play about how American society, obsessed with wealth and position, would end up eating itself, right, or destroying itself. But for the longest time, there were these individuals who hero-worshipped Charlie Sheen's character in that movie. And there's a chapter in this book when Jordan Belfort himself, the Wolf of Wall Street, encounters Joe Lowe mm. and goes, oh, this guy's dodgy. That was so meta, <laughs> I tell you. That so was weird. Meta. Yeah, that was very <laughs> meta for me. I had to stop and take a break after that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever get the real Joe Lowe story, as in from his side of the story. Maybe when he's on his deathbed and says Rosebud or something, uh, we might get it then, but I don't know if we will. I think, I, think, I think he's the silver bullet. I think if you get him, this case unravels, mm. right? Because mm. he knows everything. And until that point, I don't know if Malaysians are going to get the entire story of 1MDB. But we'll live with this for now. I'm happy to live with this for now. It's a really good book. It is. And can I say, please do not read or forward the PDF copy. Okay, so I'm going to bleep this next bit, but I'm going to say don't be an <laughs> Forwarding the PDF copy. And I get really angry when I see people on Twitter who are allegedly writers and journalists themselves mm. talking about reading this PDF copy. And that, for me, just rubs me up the how wrong way. How can you as a journalist exactly. be, right. yeah, do this? You know, how can you be outraged over stolen funds if you're stealing someone's 
some, someone's what, what's what's rightly due to someone. It's and just it, hypocritical. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It is also just a slap in the face for the amount of hard work that these individuals have done. But you know, Uma, I can understand the FOMO element of it, the fear of missing out element. Over the weekend, you had any, everyone carrying this book like a badge of honor, walking around Bangsa like I they bought were it, something. Baby. Yeah, I, I got a copy. I got an advanced copy, and that the idea, the fear of missing out. I can see how that leads to some people downloading the PDF. Not saying that that's what you should do. And I think you should, you know, if you if you want to read it, but make make sure you buy a copy of the book because. It, to be honest with you, there were people who had uh, placed advanced or- orders on this book and they cancelled because they got the PDF. Yeah, that's just... I'm, oh, that's wow. just wrong. I yeah. have nothing to say using language that I can actually use on, on radio. radio. But you know, if you do download the PDF, they can get you because you have a digital fo- footprint. There so. is a digital footprint. Yeah. They know exactly where you've downloaded it they from. They do. Haha, <laughs> they will find you. <laughs> they will find you. But no. But it's so much more it. satisfying holding the book and reading it. It is. Yeah. And then you can throw it down yeah. if yeah. you're angry yeah. at what's being And then pick it back book. up pick again. Pick it back up again. Or yeah. as Joey would do in Friends, put it in the freezer. Put it in the freezer. <laughs> oh, I should have done that. I should have done that at some point in time. I'll but do yes. that next read. Don't be a dick. Buy the book. Don't <laughs> download the PDF. That is our advice to you. Also, I have to say the one heartening thing, though, the one heartening thing is that it is sold out all over the Klang Valley. Mm. I've spoken to the distributors. There is no stock. They're trying to get in some stock from Singapore, but that is all that's left until the second printing comes out. So, you know, here we have for four days over this long weekend, this Malaysia Day weekend, Malaysians buying a book, talking about a book, reading a book. And it's probably the first time in a very long time that we've actually seen this happen. Mm. So uh, I'm not saying that this is a sign of Malaysians reading habits improving, but it took <laughs> it Tom on, Wright yeah. and Bradley Hope. Uh, one last thing I have to say, and I don't think this is hyperbole to say this, but for me, Tom Wright, Bradley Hope, they are our Woodward and Bernstein. I mean, I think given the quality of this reporting, I just kept recalling all the president's men and all of the work those two individuals did in bringing down Nixon and Watergate. And it was a slow burn, right? I mean, the whole Watergate process, they released article after article, one, two years in trying to build up evidence and trying to build up this discourse around it and faced with incredible odds against them. The power of the White House, Nixon having complete control over every arm of government trying to shut them down or silence them. And yet they brought that story to light. And I think these two guys have a lot of parallels with that situation in trying to bring this story to life. Yeah, so, so. Uh, Tom and Bradley, thank you very much for all your hard work. If I could just shamelessly plug my show, Tom is going to be on The Breakfast Grill what? on Tuesday. Really? Yes, he will be. So, <laughs> so um, I, I, I'd like to get his account of what went behind writing of this book. I will also be interviewing Tom later that evening on Tuesday the 25th at 5.30pm at Kinokuniya. He will be in KL for the book launch. So if you want to get your book signed, I'm sure you can fight the crowd and show up and do that as well. I will be getting him to sign the book for me in the studios. Hey, show off. (laughs) Keith, Melissa, thank you very much for joining me today on Bookmark and reviewing this book. See, it wasn't that hard. I should get you guys on more often. I should make Keith Keith read a little more. (laughs) I hope we passed the test. You did pass the test. Uh, You did very, very well. Billion Dollar Whale is not in bookstores, but I'm sure the second printing will be in soon. When it is, make sure you buy a copy read it. Don't forget, you can talk to us about Billion Dollar Whale. We're all on Twitter. I'm on at Uma Pagan. I'm on at Melissa underscore Idris. With one S. With one S, please. I'm on at Keith Kam. We're all also on at BFM Radio, so keep the conversation going. You're listening to Bookmark. This is BFM 89.9.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.